Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. I hope everyone is having a good week. It's Easter week, which means there is a reason to be thankful and a reason to be hopeful. And there is always light at the end of the tunnel for the Christian. There's actually light every day for the Christian, but certainly as we look on to eternity, the resurrection reminds us that there is eternal hope. There is eternal light at the end of the tunnel. And actually there is no real tunnel. There is no real thing that we have to fear or that can steal our hope or can put us into the pit of despair because we have the ultimate hope in Jesus Christ, that fear that everyone has, Christians do not have, and that is the fear of death because in Jesus we have eternal life. And so we have a reason to rejoice in the midst of all of this. We've talked about the silver lining so many times when it comes to this quarantine on this podcast, but let me just remind you of them. You are, I saw a, not a meme, but a, a quote shared on social media that I really liked that you're not stuck at home, you're safe at home. So thank God that all of us have I'm supposing who listen to this podcast have some kind of shelter, have some kind of home. We have the opportunity to spend more time in the word. If you've got more time, if you don't have more time, you've got time to spend, or you have the opportunity to spend more time with your kids, more time with your spouse. We get to practice these intimate relationships in close quarters, uh, the practice of forgiving quickly of being quicker to give grace and to give the benefit of the doubt rather than to judge and to criticize because living in close quarters makes resentment and bitterness. Uh, It just makes everything a lot worse. And so we are learning to relate to one another in a way that uh, creates a healthy and happy household since quarantine is hard enough we have the opportunity to make it as good as we possibly can. And everything that we're investing in this time, the time that you spend in the word, the time that you spend in prayer, the time that you spend in service, the time that you spend with your family, the time that you spend reaching out to friends, the time that you spend uh, with your kids, whatever it is that you're doing or time that you're spending working. If you're a grocery store clerk, if you are what the government is calling an essential worker, all of the time that is spent investing in the things that matter in the things that really last, they will uh, reap a return on the investment after this is all over and long after this is all over. So there are good things that are happening right now. We don't know exactly what God is doing, but we know that he is doing something. We know that he is doing a lot of things. We ask for the privilege of being a part of them and to have the most grateful and positive and joyful outlook that we possibly can. And with Easter coming up, it is a great reminder that we always have hope. We always have a reason to worship. We always have a reason to be thankful. And I'm thankful for one thing for this podcast and for all of you who have stuck with me through this crazy time. I hope that I have offered uh, through the grace of God, some kind of encouragement and positivity and something to cling to for you guys. I hope that this has been a reprieve from the craziness that's gone on while still also keeping you in the know as much as I can without just bogging down your mind with things. I am going to talk about some of the things that are going on today, but we're going to spend some time uh, answering some of the questions that you guys sent me. They're really good, like personal advice questions. And I love answering those. And I think that they will be relevant to all of you listening, no matter who you are. So those are going to be really 
fun and I'm excited to answer them. And I think that you're really going to like listening to this Q&A session. But I am going to tell you just a little bit about what we've been doing for the past few days, just what's going on in my life, because you guys like to like or seem to like these personal updates. And then I'll give you a brief analysis of what is going on with the media and with the government and with coronavirus and all of this crazy stuff. But before we get into it, I do want to tell you guys about Simply Safe. I've talked to you about Simply Safe before. There is a lot of uncertainty in the world. Feeling safe at home has been more important than ever recently. Uh, there's a lot of scary news out there about people letting prisoners uh, out, and there have been spikes in crime rate in some places. And it's very important for us to have a home security system that we trust, and that is why we use Simply Safe. Um, it has made it really easy to finally get comprehensive protection for your home no technician or salesperson that needs to come and disrupt your house. You don't need to pay an outrageous monthly fee or sign a two-year contract. There are no contracts. You just order online. Uh, you set it up yourself in under an hour. It really is so easy and your home is protected 24-7 with emergency dispatch for break-ins, fire, and more, all for just 50 cents a day, so super affordable. And uh, we're not the only fans of Simply Safe. The U.S. News and World Report named Simply Safe the best overall home security of 2020. That's amazing. So you can save by going to simplysafe.com slash Allie. That's S-I-M-P-L-I safe.com slash Allie, A-L-L-I-E. And my listeners will get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. That is simplysafe.com slash Allie. Make sure that they know that our show sent you for free shipping, a 60-day risk-free trial. So you try it, you don't like it, no big deal, but you really have nothing to lose. So go to simplysafe.com slash Allie. So guys, so much craziness going on right now. Like I said, it's Easter week and there is so much to be thankful for, so much to be happy about, so much to be joyful for just in the truth of the gospel and the amazing miracle of the resurrection and what it means to believers that we too have eternal life and we too will have a resurrection one day. Uh, but there's also a little bit of bittersweetness in all of this. Yes, we know that God is working. Yes, we know that there are so many wonderful things happening, so many that we don't see. There's also a lot of sadness. And the Bible does say that there is a time to mourn. There's obviously death still occurring. People are still getting sick. People are in the hospital. They're in the ICU. Boris Johnson, prime minister uh, in the UK, is, uh, is in the ICU. There's a lot of scary things happening, and it's okay to admit that. And of course, to take our anxieties and our cares to the Lord and to keep trusting in him and praying that this would be over, that he would teach us whatever it is that he wants to teach us, that we would learn whatever we need to learn in all of this, that our government leaders would be humble, that they would bow down before him and ask for guidance and for wisdom, and that we would all do the same, that God would lead hearts towards repentance, that his gospel would be spread, and that we would shine his light in the darkness. Of course, we're praying for all of those things to happen while recognizing that, yes, there are some sacrifices that are sad. There are some big sacrifices that people are making, like the people who are on the front lines, the nurses, the doctors, the grocery store clerks, the law enforcement officers, all of those people who are risking their health and their lives every day to continue to serve us. And then there are sacrifices on the smaller end of the scale. Like for example, we're not going, we don't have all the Easter festivities that we typically go to. I'm just even talking about being with your family and brunch and things like that. And then a little bit bigger deal, a lot bigger deal is the fact that Christians aren't going to be able to congregate the same way that they are used to congregating. 
And Easter is typically an opportunity for people who don't go to church every Sunday. You hear the Christian in Easter, the Christer Christians. There are a lot of people who go to church on uh, Christmas and Easter who don't typically go throughout the year and might hear the gospel for the first time and might worship corporately for the first time. They're not getting that opportunity and we don't get to have fellowship in the same way with believers and even just a very little thing. Like this is my daughter's first Easter. She just turned nine months and I put her little Easter outfit on her the other day just to see her wear it because I know that she's not gonna get the chance to wear it anywhere. And that, I know it's so small, like small potatoes compared to so much of what's going on, such a small deal. But even that just made me sad. That made me mourn a little bit what is lost as far as memories go, as far as uh, the experience of being able to go to church on Easter goes. It's very sad. But there also, even in this, there is a silver lining. All those people who typically might just go to church on Christmas and Easter, there might even be more people this Sunday who go to church that maybe they have been curious about it. Maybe they're like, heck, it's Easter. It might be the one day a year that I think about God or pray or anything, but I'm just going to do it. And Maybe this person wouldn't actually get dressed up and go to an actual church, but they will sit inside their home because maybe they didn't have any friends to go to church with. They didn't know any churches close by, but they see someone that they know is going to church online. And so they're willing to sit on their couch and they are willing to watch a service, uh, maybe for the first time ever or the first time in a long time. So there might even be more people because we are not going into physical buildings who are hearing the gospel for the first time this weekend. So if you are on social media, I highly encourage you to direct people towards a service, uh, towards a church, towards a message, so that people who follow you can be watching, invite people to virtually join you at church. And if you're a pastor who's listening to this, I don't think I have a whole lot of pastors listening to this, but if I do, if you're a pastor's wife listening to this, you can encourage your uh, pastor husband to do this. Hold nothing freaking back this weekend. Hold nothing back. You have no idea who you're reaching. Of course, you shouldn't hold anything back any weekend. Of course, every weekend is an opportunity to preach the gospel and the power of the gospel through the Holy Spirit saves souls. And you are being used as a pastor, as a teacher, as a, as a vessel in order to reach people by the grace of God. So in the off chance that there is a pastor listening to this or anyone who fits the bill in this uh, you need to go all out as much as you ever have. Let the word do the talking. Let the Bible do the preaching. Preach the word of God uh, and preach the gospel. Don't be afraid of offending people. Don't be afraid of uh, people being you know, taken aback by your brashness or about the honesty of the word of God. Make no apologies. Don't hold back. Just preach the gospel because there may be people who would never set foot inside a church watching your live stream this weekend. You just never know. And for those of you who are congregants in a church, which I am guessing is most of you, uh, invite people to virtually join you to sit in the virtual pews, which happens to be their couch and their with their coffee, which is a pretty good deal to watch. And I just pray, like, let's all pray too. Let's all pray that the gospel would go forth this Sunday more strongly than it ever has, more clearly than it ever has, that every single pastor in every single virtual pulpit 
that they would preach the word of God, that they would preach uh, the cross of Jesus Christ without shame, without holding back, without embarrassment, without trying to make it softer or watering it down or make it easier, or make it more digestible or make it chewable. Remember, our job as Christians is not to make the word of God more digestible to atheists. It is to preach the truth and to let God do the work that he is going to do. We remember as Christians as well, this is what I have to remind myself when I am feeling like, oh, it's too awkward for me to say the truth. I don't want to say what the truth of the whole gospel is. I want people to just feel good about themselves. Yes, I'm tempted by that stupid line of thinking. And so I try to, you know, shape my message or something into a way that's not offensive, but still gets the point of cro- uh, point across. But the reality is, is that Christians don't save souls. You and I don't save souls. Pastors don't save souls. Teachers don't save souls. Christian authors don't save souls. Theologians don't save souls. Jesus saves souls. Our job, a pastor's job, not, I mean, all of our jobs as Christians, but especially pastor's jobs is to preach the word of God clearly and to preach the gospel from the word of God, wherever you are in the word of God. So my prayer, our prayer, all listeners to the Relatable Podcast, our prayer this weekend should be that the gospel goes forth in an incredible way that God would soften hearts, that he would draw hearts to himself, that souls would be saved through the grace and the power of God this weekend through these virtual Easter services so that people know it doesn't matter how many pastors get arrested. It doesn't matter how many protesters, peaceful protesters outside abortion clinics get arrested, that God is going to do exactly what he wants to do and no government force can stop him. No government force can stop him. Remember what we read in, I think it's Isaiah 55, that his word is going to go forth. It is going to accomplish the thing that God wants it to accomplish. And so let's be on our knees for this weekend for God to save souls, for the church to be unified, for the church to be clear, for the church to be no holds barred, that the church uh, would preach the gospel faithfully and clearly and brazenly, boldly and strongly and simply. Uh, I'm excited for that. I'm excited for Easter Sunday. Even though we're going to be at home, it's not going to be the same. I'm excited for it. Yes, shed a little tear about my daughter not, you know, being able to wear her Easter outfit and having the traditional brunch and church and all of that good stuff. But it's okay because Easter is Easter and Jesus still raised from the dead and there's still something to celebrate and God is doing something. I believe it. I don't know exactly what, but it is always for his own glory. And we know that people believing in the gospel, he is glorified through that. So let's pray for that. Now, let's back off just a second and let's talk about some of the things that are, or back up just a second and talk about some of the things that are going on with this virus. Before I get into that, I do want to tell you guys about one of my favorite sponsors and that is Daily Harvest. I love Daily Harvest. My husband and I have used Daily Harvest for a long time and it is so good. If there's one thing I've learned as a parent, it's that you have to eat when you can. I mean, and especially during this quarantine time when you are probably eating three meals all at home, sometimes you just want something easy and daily harvest does that for you. That's why I'm crazy about daily harvest. It is nutritious. You get vegetables. I don't even like vegetables, but you get all the stuff that you need to get. And it's so easy to make. It makes it so easy to get your 
fruit, to get your vegetables, to get all your nutrients. It's uh, thoughtfully sourced. It's chef crafted. It can be prepared in five minutes or less. I would say way less than that. It takes like two minutes. They work directly with farms to harvest organic fruits and vegetables at their peak and then freeze them within 24 hours to lock in their nutrients. Everything stays fresh until you are ready to enjoy it. Choose from more than 65 different options like smoothies, soups, harvest bowls, overnight oats. Each recipe takes one step to prepare with room to make them your own. Add your favorite milk. I do almond milk and blend up a smoothie or heat up a harvest bowl and top it with avocado or fried egg. Maybe not your smoothie with fried egg, but like the harvest bowl is really good with the fried egg. Whether you're on your, your way to work out, which I guess isn't happening right now, but you're about to work out or whether you're just at home and you're hanging out with your kids, whatever it is, uh, it is a really good option for a healthy lunch or a healthy snack, a healthy breakfast, whatever it is. So go to dailyharvest.com, enter promo code relatable. That's dailyharvest.com, promo code relatable for $25 off your first box. $25 off your first box with promo code relatable at dailyharvest.com. Don't miss out. I seriously love Daily Harvest. So go to dailyharvest.com, promo code relatable. Okay. So Virus still going on, but there's some good news. All the projections that we've had for, you know, 100,000 people dying from this virus, it seems to be that the projections, which they knew this, that the models were probably going to be slightly off because there are so many variables that come into play when you are creating these models. And so, I mean, I guess they did the best they can, but thankfully, even in New York, where really the hotspot is of this virus, they are good on supplies, apparently. They're good on ventilators for now. They haven't filled all their ICU beds. Their hospital isn't quite overloaded yet. Now, there are some anecdotal accounts saying that nurses are overworked and doctors are overworked, which I believe. I think that both of those things can be true at the same time, that these doctors and nurses are at max capacity, but they haven't gotten to the level yet that these uh, the people who created these models thought that they would be of being completely overloaded and just having to, you know, turn people down. Governor Cuomo of New York said, yes, people have died, but one, uh, that number is going down. Thankfully, it's gone down a few day or a few days in a row. Thankfully, thank God. Um, but he said people have not died because we haven't had a bed for them or we haven't had a ventilator for them. We've had all of the supplies and the tools and the treatments that we've needed. That's what Governor Cuomo has said. So that is really good. Most states have issued a stay-at-home order, but some states haven't. And quite frankly, despite what the media is saying, the media is so mad that these rural states haven't done the same stay-at-home orders that other more metropolitan states have or states with metropolitan areas have. But that's because not every state is the same. Like North Dakota hasn't had nearly as many cases as New York, for example. They don't need to have the same policies as New York or Montana or Wyoming, they don't need to have the same policies as even Texas or Washington or California. Every state is different. That's why we have federalism. Dr. Anthony Fauci, we know, of course, he's not a politician. He's not a statesman. He thinks President Trump should do a national stay-at-home order. And I think President Trump is resisting that. And for good reason, the states have a right. They should have a right to do what they need to do. Now, if we looked at the model and we saw that places like North Dakota, places like Wyoming, Montana, that don't have these stay-at-home orders, that their deaths were exponentially higher, that they were just having a really rough go of it and all their hospitals were overloaded and people were dying left and right, okay, 
then you can make the argument that maybe they need to have a stay-at-home order, maybe they need to be stricter or whatever, but that's not happening. And so really what it is, is these metropolitan reporters, they really don't like, they don't like the red states. They don't like the southern states. They don't like the rural states. And they just think it's ridiculous that people are still having any kind of freedom whatsoever, even though the place with some of the strictest policies is seeing some of the highest rates of death, which is New York. And I think they're doing the best job that they possibly can, but that's just the fact of the matter. So you don't really have a good argument for saying that every state needs some kind of blanket policy for shelter in place. I mean, I just don't think that that is smart governance. So I'm glad that President Trump has resisted that. He has continued his press conferences. The press is absolutely crazy. They're absolutely crazy. You might have seen my video on this that, well, as I'm recording this, I haven't put it out yet. So I hope by the time you're listening to this, I did put the video up talking about just how crazy the press is. It's all about them. It's all about the attention that they want. It's all about poor me, President Trump, has picked on me and the real war is not the war on the virus, it's the war on journalists. I mean, they are so self-important and so are not understanding of the real problems here at all and the duplicitousness of these reporters that would not have put Obama through the ringer but are dying, dying to get President Trump. Maybe that's a poor choice of words. They are eager to get President Trump uh, to make him look as incompetent as possible. Has his response been perfect? No, I think he downplayed it a little bit at the beginning, but the guy speaks in hyperbole. So in the beginning when he said, oh, it's gonna be zero people really soon, that's what he does. He likes to bring hope to people. I'm not saying he should have said that, but he speaks in these like, grand statements that aren't always exact. And I think he's gotten a lot better at that as this whole crisis has gone on. And he ultimately has handled it well. All the people saying that, oh, these press conferences shouldn't be aired, they're a train wreck. Well, they're obviously biased. They want, they don't want President Trump to handle this crisis well because if he handles this well and this gets under control before November, if things start going back to normal and there's a huge bounce back in the economy and people are just happy, they're going crazy, they're spending money, they're getting their jobs back, they're happy to be outside and we have a really good summer, then that's going to be his, um, that's going to be top of mind for people as they go into the voting booth in November. And the left knows that, Democrats know that. The last thing they want is for President Trump to uh, become president. I don't think that this whole coronavirus is a hoax, but I certainly think there are people on the Democratic side who are leveraging this as much as possible in order to make Trump look bad. Of course, don't let any crisis go to waste. That's what Rahm Emanuel said. And so that's, of course, what they're doing to President Trump. The longer they can make this last, the longer they can have people shelter in place, the more jobs that are lost, the more this seems like an absolute mishandling of a crisis, the more this looks like Trump has just totally fumbled the ball and people are dying left and right and more and more people are getting this, the more this looks like absolute chaos, the longer it looks for absolute chaos, the more it solidifies in people's minds that Trump is not the man for the job and we just need someone else from the other party to take over. That's what I think many Democrats are hoping. Now, I don't think that they actively want people to die and want people to get sick, but as long as this is going on, they're going to use it to whip up outrage and to whip up fear 
and to encourage through their reporting for us to stay in this lockdown for as long as possible because the more misery, the more chaos, the more lost jobs, the more sluggish our economy is, the harder it is for President Trump to win an election. And we're kidding ourselves if we don't think that the people who have been peddling a Russian conspiracy theory, Russian collusion conspiracy theory for three years, who've been trying to get Trump impeached for three years, aren't aren't using this uh, against President Trump. I mean, we would be crazy not to see that. But if President Trump is able to get this under control, uh, then we have, uh, he has a really good chance of re-election, which that's not my priority at all. Like if we really do have to stay in place for this long, for a really long period of time to make sure that our most vulnerable are taken care of, then so be it. But like I said, we would be kidding ourselves if we didn't realize that a lot of people on the left, that a lot of Democratic journalists are scared of us bouncing back from this quickly, things going really well, and the economy bouncing back, people being happy, having a, a great summer there being baseball games and us feeling unified and just good about being Americans because then President Trump will be a shoe in No one wants to vote for Joe Biden who can't even talk. And no one wants to vote for Bernie Sanders in a time when everyone's happy with the American economy, and he is posing a revolution that doesn't even make any sense. And so they're worried about that, in my opinion. And so that's why they are downplaying things like hydroxychloroquine, which has been, in a lot of cases, not every case, a lot of cases has proven promising. And that's all that President Trump has said, and the reporters have tried to say, oh my goodness, why is he saying that? What a snake oil salesman, what a quack job. I can't believe that he is touting this. All he's saying is that it's promising. A lot of doctors, a lot of scientists have said that it is a promising treatment. There's a whole other theory that people are trying to, uh, that there are people trying to lock us down for the next 18 months until we get a vaccine. There's a whole theory about Bill Gates, forced vaccinations, and things like that. Who knows all of the motives of the various people in this? I do think people on both sides, unfortunately, aren't as incentivized as they should be about widespread antibody testing, because if there were widespread antibody testing, then we could know really how many people have had this, or even just random samplings of antibody testing. Then we could see how many people have had this, and then we could see what the real death rate is, and then we could see how dangerous it actually is. There's a very interesting article, and let's see, it's on, oh, I don't know how to pronounce this, uh, Morosco Forge. MoroscoForge.com, and it is an article called The Curve is Already Flat by AJK. And I thought it was really interesting. Uh, she goes through all of the different evidence that shows that uh, COVID-19 was probably already in the United States in November and December. Therefore, all of the models that have COVID started in the United States at the end of January, that means their timing is going to be wrong for the spikes. And so her argument is that the spike has probably already happened and the curve probably already is flat. Therefore, all of these draconian measures that we've taken, all of the millions of jobs lost, and the loneliness epidemic and the purposeless epidemic and the economic uh, crisis that we've put ourselves in is all unnecessary because her argument is that the curve is already flat. So I encourage you to go read that. It's really interesting. It probably, I mean, it is probably true 
that we have put these models, projected the start date of COVID-19 in the United States way too late because we know China was lying. And there were a lot of what is called ILI uh, visits, which is influenza-like illnesses uh, in the United States. So that those are people who had flu-like symptoms in the fall and in December, January, but didn't test positive for the flu. We had a huge spike of those this year. And so we probably already had the spike and we're probably, is what she is arguing, we're probably on our way down already. So there's no reason to do these draconian measures. Interesting article. I encourage you to go read it. So I don't know where we are in all of this right now. The partisanship of the media not helping, obviously. I think President Trump, his administration is doing the best job they possibly can. I think they're doing a good job uh, right now. And I mean, the communication is hard. We do hear something different. It seems like every day projections of 200,000 people dying and the 50,000 people dying. And we don't know why these projections have changed. Oh, we shouldn't wear a mask is what we heard two months ago, which I always thought was weird, by the way. Oh, but now we hear that we should, like we should all be wearing masks. And so we just keep hearing this back and forth. We hear April 30th is the end. And then we hear what's well, really going to be June 1st. And then some people say August and some people say there's going to be a spike again in August. And so understand that it's not, no one really fully knows. No one really fully knows. There are bad actors in this. There are people with ulterior motives. That doesn't mean we shouldn't take it seriously, but we should be critical thinkers in all of this. Um, so those are the only just general updates I have on that. I did want to take a little bit of time to answer these questions. So someone says, when to break up and be done with it? And I love this question, girl. I am a breakup doula and I just made that up. I honestly should be that. I should be a breakup doula because I'm really good at talking people through breakups because I've been through my fair share of breakups in high school and in college and thankfully i mean that's just one of the most blessed things about getting married guys is that you don't have to worry about that anymore and it's just wonderful to have that security but you need to break up and be done with it when you have to convince yourself that you should be with the person if you have to convince yourself that you like this person continually not just one time if one time you're like thinking through some things and maybe you're having some doubts okay whatever but if you're finding yourself consistently convincing yourself that you like this person or that he or he is having to convince himself that he likes you done done if you do not like this person or if you just get this gut feeling that's like oh this isn't right and I don't know what it is and I can't shake it but I, I just know that something in this isn't right I can't picture myself with them this long term or they have this weird red flag that I'm really trying to pretend isn't there if you get this gut feeling over and over again or you find yourself convincing yourself that you like them or you just don't like them like you're just not attracted to him you just don't think he's funny like you're just not sure if he clicks he might be everything that's great on paper but there's something in you that's like oh I just don't love this person girl end it there's something inside your head I know that is saying well I might not be able to find anyone better or he's been with me through all of these things and I'm just not sure if anyone else can understand me or but we've already gotten engaged and I already have my wedding dress and I've already planned all these things and I really just want to get married and oh my gosh I'm in a quarantine and a pandemic and I just want to make sure that I have sex with my husband before I die like you're feeling all these desperate things that don't have a grounding in reality and are not worth staying with someone that you don't really love and like 
When people tell you, when you know, you know, I know that sounds weird right now, you don't believe me. You don't believe me that when you know, you know, but when you know, you know. I remember in college when I was dating someone that I thought like great on paper, but ultimately I just had that thing in my head that I was like, why don't I really like this person? I should like them. We should work together. All things work out, but why don't I like this person? I don't think he's funny. We don't work. We don't click. And finally, finally it ended. And of course I was devastated. Of course I was sad. And I had all those doubts and questions. But then when I met my husband, it was just what everyone said. It just clicked. When I knew, I knew, I knew a week and this might not be you, but I knew a week, probably maybe even less than that. After I met him, texted my friend, who's also named Allie. And I said, I think I met my husband and I had, and we haven't looked back. And I'm not saying that's going to be your story with your husband. Maybe it's going to be, you know, a long relationship and you have to make sure that he's the right one. Sure. But when you know, you know, you shouldn't have to convince yourself that you like someone just be done with it. Not don't do this thing that so many girls do. I don't think that we're good for each other right now. Don't do that. I know it softens the blow, but just don't do that. Just be honest. Just say, I think that we need to break up not going on a break. I've also made that mistake of telling someone that we were going on a break when really I knew that we were going to break up. And then it just makes it way harder at the end of it. When the other person wants to get back together and you're like, Oh no, I've moved on. So sorry. I gave you that impression. Breakups are terrible. They're terrible. I'm so sorry that you're going through that. Who just do it, girl. I've said before quarantine, great time to break up, hop you on a zoom call. And then you just end that thing. When you're done, you just say, whoop, I'm out. I, I don't want to talk about this anymore. You don't have to meet at Starbucks. You don't have to meet at the other person's house. You don't have to worry about it. Zoom call. So sorry that I'm doing this over Zoom. So sorry, but this has to, this is over. Um, I, that's my advice for you. Favorite thing so far of being a mom. Ooh, just watching her grow. She's nine months and she's pulling up on everything. She babbles a lot. We don't know if like her saying mama and dada is really actually meaning anything yet. She just kind of says that she waves. We're teaching her a little sign language. She's got that down. She's just super, super fun. I just love, love being a mom. Someone said, did y'all read any marriage books and premarital counseling that you loved? Love Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. It's an awesome, awesome book. Um, let's see. Ooh, this is a good one. Advice to the friend of a new mom. What can the friend do best for her new mom friend? So what you can do best, I don't know how close you guys are, but if you guys are really close, she might want you to come to the hospital, but you should say, you should tell her sometime before she goes into labor, Hey, I would love to bring you food at the hospital. You should come bearing some kind of sustenance. I would love to bring you food at the hospital. Um, if you don't want me to, that's totally fine. I can drop it off and leave. Would love to hold the baby. If you want to eat while I hold the baby, um, just let me know I'm here for, or no, don't even say, let me know. Just say, I'm here for you. Text her after she had the baby and say, Hey, I'm ready to bring you food. Um, is between two and five, a good time for you, whatever. Be very specific, be as helpful as possible. Don't put the choice on her. Say, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm bringing. This is what I'm willing to do. This is what I would like to do for you. And she might not want you to come to the hospital and you just respect that. You don't make her feel bad. 
She might not want any visitors at the hospital. That's normal. She's just pushed the baby out of her. She's had a baby taken out of her stomach, so she's tired. She might want you to wait till she gets home. When she gets home, offer to do things for her. Offer to clean her house, to do her laundry, to bring her food, to help her write thank you notes, like whatever it is, she's not gonna want to do those things. So anything you can do to make her life easier, and when you get to her house, unless you're just like besties, besties, and she just wants you to stay all day, make your visit very short. That's my encouragement to all of you for a new mom. Again, unless you're like their sister or their mom or something, go there. If they want you to hold the baby, you can hold the baby, wash your hands first, even out, out of this quarantine, wash your hands first. And I'm forgetting that we're in a quarantine. So you people probably can't even go to the hospital or visit someone when they have a baby. I'm thinking outside of quarantine. Ask her if you can hold the baby and then stay for 15 minutes and then leave because she's tired. She put the effort to put a, like a shirt on and she doesn't really want visitors. I can tell you that. Um, now during this quarantine time, what you can do is you can send her food, send her money. Um, she doesn't really care about a card. I can tell you that. Uh, she doesn't really care about flowers probably. I would say send food. Uh, if there's anything else you can do for her, offer to drop off groceries, stock her refrigerator, huge. Those are the things that when you're a new mom and you're tired, you don't wanna do. Send her encouraging text messages, see how she's doing. Don't be offended if she doesn't text you back. Pray for her, pray that she sleeps, pray for her sanity, pray for her hormones. You're so emotional after you have a baby, you just are. And just be there to, to listen to her. Ask her how birth was. If she's traumatized, she doesn't wanna talk about it. Don't force her to talk about it. People just need an emotional uh, refuge after birth. Let's see, any more, any more questions? First place you want to go when this quarantine is over. Man, I just like wanna go anywhere. Like places that I didn't even go before quarantine. Like I wanna go to a baseball game. I just wanna go outside. I want it to be summer. I wanna go to the pool. I don't wanna have to worry about things. Even when I'm watching movies, I'm like, oh my gosh, that person just opened that door handle without any gloves on. I just don't want to think that way anymore. Um, how do we end stupid in the world? Very, very, very good question. I don't think that we can. Ultimately, I think stupid is going to last until Jesus reigns forever, ultimately. And Satan, who is the author of Stupid, is um, bound forever and is destroyed. <laughs> uh, I have not. I don't really know if it's theologically correct to say Satan is the author of Stupid, but it sounded good in the moment. But no, I don't think that Stupid will ever be destroyed. But I do think that there are people that work very hard to make sure people aren't stupid, and that's you know that's all we can do: educate, educate, and encourage. Um, thoughts on Enneagram? Girl, I did a whole podcast titled Personality Test. My third favorite reptile. I don't know. A lizard? A Komodo dragon? A uh, fave office character? Ooh, I mean, obviously, I laugh at all of them, honestly. Obviously, Michael Scott. I love Jim and Pam. I just watched for the 15th time, maybe, we were on the episode of Jim and Pam getting married, and I just can't not cry at that scene, just because I love all the characters so much. Nail polish color, light pink. Uh, 
how do you find a man during quarantine? Probably not going to happen. And I probably wouldn't do it right now because you're just going to have to wait to see him. I don't know how you do that. Um, do I edit my videos? Not usually. Okay. That's all I have time for today. Last time I had Chick-fil-A, girl, it's been a long time. Okay, that's all I have time for. Uh, thank you so much for listening. This was a fun episode, and I'll be back here on Friday.